as well. So, uh, what was covering that that outbreak like? Um, it was, Bender, I mean, it was bonkers, right? I mean, my Maggie like, Hagerman, I, New York I had Times. so many like near close calls with this with with with, with Trump world here. I had, I was in Ronna McDaniel's office. Uh, remember the first scare she had, like mm -hmm. right at the beginning of the mm -hmm. of the pandemic, where um, she thought she had COVID. This was a weekend in March. Just for those who who don't yeah. remember, there were there were several events going on at Mar-a-Lago at the same time. One of which was an RNC fundraising event. One was Kim Guilfoyle's birthday event. I think President Bolsonaro was there right. uh, the same weekend, yep. uh, and that was I think the weekend you're talking about. When yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I thought maybe I you know there was a chance I caught it then, and there was like no tests or anything back then. Um, and that was where I really got a taste of what things might look like because I just, like, you know, shut down everything, right? There was no um, no help for the family, you know, all the quarantine stuff. Uh, and then on the, the Rose Garden ceremony, I was supposed to have covered that live, but um, Why didn't the news, well, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. One of my colleagues had pre-written the story, and then I think again, it was you and Peter who broke that it was going to be Amy Coney. What the hell's going on? Hey! Hey! Get out of here! Okay, they shut my uh, my podcast off, so just because they did that, I'm going to do a double podcast to make sure that this is heard.
Um, I want to apologize to those of you who are watching and getting a true taste of authentic Brooklyn outside of my window. Uh, where there's lots of noise, but the Trump window has lost. to stay open or I will melt. So I apologize. Um, so just try to tune that out and just listen to us. You talk about the the supporters of the former president who you spent a lot of time with, and and this that is, is I think something that really distinguishes your book from what Maggie I think Hagerman has been written previously and, and probably Michael a lot of Bender. what will be written. What were some of the surprises kind of spending the time with these folks? California. Take us inside what it was like to travel with them as they as they moved from rally to rally. What their experience was, why they felt so bonded to him. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of want to start with that question by explaining like why I, I did this, and it's sort of like a mea culpa, right? I mean, it was it was the it was the summer of 2019. Uh, he had just um, announced his it's his rally where he's the kickoff rally uh, mm-hmm. for the reelection campaign mm-hmm. in Orlando, and um, there was you know hundreds of media down there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a team of reporters from the Wall Street Journal. I mean, I think you had several reporters from the New York Times. We all went down there. People waited for hours outside. I was down there. Yeah, yeah, I remember. (laughs) Yes. It's so hot, so humid. I mean, there's like only interrupted by bouts of pounding rain. Yes. Um, And we get inside and it's the exact same rally we've seen a thousand (laughs) times before. And I was I was just like so mad. I was so irritated. It felt like I'd been duped. Right. And like, you know, been suckered by the, you know, promotional showmanship of Donald Trump. And then I like sat back in my seat, you know, behind the risers. I couldn't even see like the new stage or, mm-hmm. um, and realized that every seat in the 20,000 seat arena was packed. Right. And like every one of them were, was chanting, build a wall or like lock her up mm-hmm. uh, just as loudly as they had three years earlier. So I kind of was like, well, I wanted to look at it. It sort of forced me to look at it with fresh eyes and say, what is it about the people who are showing up? Uh, of Trump himself, that they want to come over and they, they want to come and see this show over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, but like for me, like I would normally, I would normally like, sort of treat the people in line at a Trump rally or any political rally. It was you go there, uh, you, you you know, sort of do your man on the street interview, you, mm-hmm. you go and get the craziest quote, right? Like try to wait, let's, let's see if someone will call AOC a Muslim who wants to ruin the country. You know, write it down and you know and get it and file it and and on, on your on your way. But I wanted to like understand them a little bit as people and um you know what what shocked me i guess about that about you know spending time with them and and again like i didn't actually camp out overnight but like i was there you know till 10 12 at night you know uh sitting around with them as they you know smoked their last cigarettes of the night and like you know passed around a lot you shared their beers and um you know uh there were you know there were a lot of obama voters You know, uh, people who had kind of got caught up in the celebrity of Obama and the enthusiasm and um, his message about, um, I mean, Obama wanted to end the endless wars too, right? I mean, that sort of fed up with foreign interventionalism. Um, and they were people who were, you know, I mean, kind of lonely. You know, they had, they were, they were recent retirees with uh, time on their hands or, you know, maybe they never had kids or some were estranged from their families. And going from rally to rally to rally, they they formed their own little community. Like, uh, you know, I, I a lot of people have made the comparison to the Grateful Dead, Deadheads. Uh, I know Springsteen has a similar following. Um, and you know, they were staying at each other's houses on you know on the road or would split hotel rooms. And in a weird way, Trump had made their lives bigger, right, and richer. And um, what the book kind of chronicles with them is. 
how really they're misled throughout the year and by and by this president and you know and by the end remember their when he left all of them out again. in the snow um, they no turn on each back, other the people you know the, uh, libby who <laughs> wants to wear a mask to protect yeah. her husband who has cancer is mocked by her friends yeah. uh you know s- several of them you know uh, randall dies on the way home in a, in, a, in a car accident on the way home uh from a from a boat parade uh uh another dies from covid um sandra is um stops just turns off fox news after fox news calls arizona and calls the race correctly for biden had been the background noise of her life for the last several years fox news she just turns off so her sort of input on news right her her, her feedback from the news where she's getting her information shrinks um and um you know again like i I, I, went, I I talked to some i caught up with some of them in ohio and starting to see some little bit of cracks i mean i'm not gonna you know pronounce the end of trumpism by any stretch mm-hmm. but they're starting to you know the people they some of them ask me like you know what do you you know was there antifa at the capital on january 6th like that's some of some of that kind of stuff that um they would never have asked me a year ago let me ask you a question just on something you said a second ago about the obama trump crossover mm-hmm. voter uh, trump, uh, obama obviously did not do rallies the way that trump does or uh, did um they were you know you used the word show before and they really were shows um was it your sense that these folks would have had the same level of devotion to obama if he had been engaging the same way or was there something special about trump to them that yeah. was that was unique because celebrity is obviously how trump got right. to them, right yeah. so, i mean that was what that was what made him different yeah. Uh, and that was what made him not just another Republican and not just another libertarian and not just a whatever he was at any given moment. Um, but how is it that he got under their skin so deeply? Right. Um, it was his, it was the, um, you know, the, 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 the non-political correctness stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was, it was that kind of attitude from Trump and his willingness to say and do anything that they uh, very, very quickly interpreted as um, as a defense for themselves, right? As like they, he's willing to, uh, he's the bull in the china shop, and he's going to break, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to break stuff for on our behalf, mm-hmm. right? And and you know, I, I talked to some of them who, you know, it wasn't just it just didn't just like empower them politically, mm-hmm. um, it empowered their daily lives. You know, um, uh, the people who would, you know, speak up at work. Right and and defend themselves in in, in in small ways, right? And like what days they want off, and willing to like mm-hmm. tell the boss that sort of stuff, or stand up for themselves. When you go out, please get me some peanut M and M's. You know, in relationships, and 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 and. Big bag. sorts of ways that that trump again sandra told me that um a few years ago she would have paid the obamacare fine and it would have been you know and gone about her life but because of what trump said and trump's attitude you know that she didn't have to do what she didn't want to do and she didn't pay her obamacare fine and no one came no no one came looking for her right And, and life moved on it's really interesting um so basically the message that some folks took is that the, the rules 
didn't necessarily need to be followed, um, or at least certain rules didn't need to be followed. Um, I'm going to ask you the question that once the motorcycle passes that everyone asks me, and I assume you get asked this too. Uh, do you anticipate that he runs again? Um, probably. I mean, if I'm answering honestly, like that's, you know, I mean, you know, as well as, as better than I, I mean, what he wants to be is, is talked about. Right. Yep. And he wants to be in the headlines, good or bad. Narcissistic, um, I do think uh, yeah. that the folks around him right now have convinced him probably correctly or that he needs to wait until this 2022. Not either. one, because there's no benefit to say yes or no now, but also there's some pretty important data points coming. Right. I mean, this is the party's chance, their opportunity to redefine themselves post Trump, what, whether they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. I mean, those are all huge questions that will, um, you know, uh, uh, inform Trump's decision. And, and God, what has he made? Two dozen endorsements mm-hmm. from like, several in the U S Senate. And I mean, primary challengers in the U S Senate, like those aren't easy. It's not easy to do even for a popular former president to, to defeat sitting senators or sitting members of Congress. Um, and, uh, you know, I know he, he did back someone in the Staten Island borough president. I'm not sure what happened in that one. But, like, how these races unfold or what happens in them, like, that's going to be important and, and tell Trump how much, uh, you know, you know, how much goodwill is left for him in the party, too. Do you think that he'll make this, the decision based on conventional metrics like that? Or do you think <laughs> everything else that we know of him and what's going on in his life legally, do you think that might impact him? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. It probably depends on what um, you tweet and if you say <laughs> what we all tweet. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the experience that you're having. You're a first-time author. You are number three on uh, the major accomplishment. Thank um, you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your your last couple of weeks because you, we've been having a rolling a rolling month and a half or so of Mike Bender. Um, uh, and I think some of that is because of this uh, uh, unique uh, moment you're in where there are two other books that came out um, within the same window. And I, I know there was at least one news story written about the jockeying that the yeah. books were doing. So talk a little bit about what the, for, for folks who are, you know, unused to what this world of, of selling books is like. Talk about what your last few weeks have been like. Oh, I mean, last few weeks, it feels like the last, like it's like the last few months or, um, I mean, it was, uh, yes, like I knew going into this after the election and I took leave that there was, it was going to be a pretty competitive marketplace here on, on, on Trump books and people that uh, other journalists and reporters and authors, I really respect and know that, um, you know, and, and uh, uh, bestsellers, Pulitzer Prize winners, right? I mean, that are well recognized in our industry for, um, for, for quality work and uh, you know, I didn't, I don't have a show. I don't have a TV, like all the sort of things that sort of normally sell, can help you sell books. I don't have a TV show. I don't have like a major social media presence. I don't have, a, I, this is my first book. So I felt like a lot of pressure to, uh, to do the reporting here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that the only way, to, like I had to let the reporting do the work for me here. Um, and then, uh, so we kind of, usually the, um, the, the publicity for a book is like the week it's published and you kind of put your, go on the shows, you put out some scoops and like give it your best shot. Um, we weren't sure exactly, our first public, we weren't sure when the other books were going to come out. Uh, our first book, our, our first, our initial publication date was August 20th. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we were going to just say, we just said, like, we're going to start. There's enough in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm represented by the, the, the guys at Javelin, Matt Latimer and Keith Urban. Closure, so am I. So, right. oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And everyone else in Washington. And everyone right? else in Washington, right. But they're real. I mean, they're, um, I was really impressed on like how, uh, on the PR part of this from them. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they recognized that there was a lot in this book and that we could start acting like the book was coming out, you know, months earlier. I mean, we literally put out our first scoop on the right. book uh, on June 1st that, mm-hmm. uh, that Hannity had written one of Trump's final TV ads. Right. And then, started, like, then we just started putting stuff out every few days and for, for, until the next six weeks. And meanwhile, um, like, we realized that, like, some of the other books had moved their publications dates up, and then we moved ours up. Uh, and there was all this leapfrogging um, until um, we landed on uh, July 13th, uh, along with another competitor. And then another competitor came out yesterday. Um, and then I, you know, I literally woke up, I would just like wake up in sweats, like wondering, like thinking like another, um, book has come out. I, you know, um, it was kind of driving myself crazy, but, um, but I don't know, it, it, it ended up being really fun. And like the reception, we got a lot of traction on some of the scoops we were putting out and, um, and, you know, and, and, and like I said, Latimer realized very quickly that, I mean, the first thing people have to understand that you have a book. Right before they can feel like they want to buy the book, mm-hmm. and we had to do all that work to get people to realize that there was a book coming that was worthwhile that they hadn't, you know, maybe thought of before. Um, and I guess I mean it's just been really an overwhelming response. I mean, to be number three on the bestseller list tonight is um, is is far more success than I had, had really had hoped. I mean, I really I filed this book hoping I wasn't going to embarrass myself and my family that who had like. Um, you know, shouldered so much of the burden, you know, during a pandemic uh, to help me, to help create space for me to, to finish this. Um, so I just am so excited for, for them and for like, I, I, you know, to get, to get texts and like pictures of them holding the book and for how excited like my family is and um, just been um, really, really nice. So. Talk, talk a bit about those scoops. Talk a bit about some of the news nuggets in the book, and then I want to move to specific storylines. But but just talk about for for people who haven't bought it yet, um, yeah. what some of the highlights of the last few weeks have been. Sure, I mean the so yeah, the first one was that Hannity wrote one of Trump's ads. Uh, uh, some of the ones that got uh, a lot more a bigger attention were um, that uh, that. Trump had got into a debate said were the, some, some of the good things that Hitler did um, uh, when he was in charge. Um, and that and obviously got a lot of attention. Watch this um, if you dare. One of the things I think my scoops did were, was really introduce the country kind of to, the, to the first time to, to Mark Milley, the, the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the, the, the top general of the U.S. military, who was way before was, was what a guardrail he had been behind the scenes on when Trump was literally um, My telling them to Trump that he wanted Americans shot. Exclamation point, actually face. repeatedly telling them his military leaders, his, his, his national security advisors that, uh, that Americans peacefully protesting civil rights abuses should be shot in the leg or shot in the foot or should have their skulls cracked so that he could feel like uh, he was in charge and, and, and he was in control. Um, 
you know, those are, those are, those are some of the big ones. Um, you know, one you, of my, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say like one of my, I mean, the, there was a, a kind of a bipartisan, rare bipartisan moment on, on Twitter when I uh, put out one of the um, uh, scenes where, where Millie had um, yelled at Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller was trying, basically egging on Trump, telling him that <laughs> cities were burning in the, in, amidst these uh, George Floyd, the protests of uh, George Floyd being killed. And Millie, uh, you know, uh, a decorated army general uh, led, you know, troops in Afghanistan and Iraq, turned around in a seat, pointed at Stephen Miller and said, shut the fuck up, Stephen. Because he had the data. He knew that there was not, you know, cities were not burning. Um, and everyone, you know, Republicans and Democrats were excited to, um, uh, that, that someone to talk to Stephen Miller like that. Uh, and then, of course, there's the scene with Millie. Um, the year of the Christ very, consciousness. You know, uh, pointing to portrait of Abraham of Lincoln over uh, Trump's shoulder in the Oval point. Office and saying, that man, Mr. President, had an insurrection. What, what we have is a protest, um, bringing some historical context uh, you know, to the moment for, for this person. Um, I, want you to, um, I want you to talk for a minute just about the challenges of doing this book. I don't think you had anticipated when you first started the project. Am I correct about that? The pandemic had not begun, or I hundred oh, percent. I, I mean, I, I agreed to do this uh, back in the like late summer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard for people to remember. I, I don't even really. Um, I'm not even acknowledge, but there's a time between Mueller reports coming out and asking for help, a little help with Biden. Um, that things were kind of uh, predictable, right? I mean, uh, I have a baby at home. We have, I'm married to a, a, a well-known uh, White House reporter, Ashley Parker, um, um, a competitor. And Talk we were that. both that getting home at six o'clock every day to let the <laughs> nanny go during this time, right? Like I agreed to do this book thinking like, okay, like I'm gonna be covering the campaign in 2020. I'll just sort of like sweep up all my reporting from the Wall Street Journal, make a book and like, you know, have some fun first person scenes if possible and, and, and go from there. Uh, then he got impeached, you know, mm -hmm. then the pandemic, then the, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the protests and the economic collapse. So like we didn't really cover a campaign until the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so all of this, all this, like I had to almost start from zero when the campaign was done. And of course my agents had wanted the book, you know, on, you know, November. Before that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, I just, I love Matt and Keith dearly. They were great um, to work with. I mean, and the election's called, you get on the phone, you know, and you know you're concerned about you need more time to work, but is there any way you can do it faster, right? Like, like they knew, like, they knew what was happening, right? Like, it was all this stuff, and um, with, like, in, with uh, our competitors, and, you know, uh, but the hardest part was really, really was, I mean, was the pandemic. Everyone's lives had been turned upside down, right? I mean, everybody's routines were disrupted. Uh, stress levels this, um, increased on everybody, and then here I come, on top of it all, to, um, to my wife, to my parents, right, to my sisters, to my aunts and uncles, saying like, I know you you have your 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 burden is extra heavy, but can I 
can you take some of mine too to uh, help me uh, clear a weekend to to you know to write or to clear a few nights to to, to report? Um, I mean, my mom drove across the country in the middle of the pandemic to to bail me out. I, I flew her in another time uh, toward the end. Um, Watch this if you like the truth. Yeah. So like to see them, you know. Even just on Tuesday, last Tuesday, like holding up the book and like how excited mm -hmm. um, everybody was. Uh, my sister Monique told me that it felt like a baby had been born in the family. And we have a big family. Like I have six sisters. I my mom's one of eleven. We have a big family already. Like, um, you know, um, so it was it was just it's, it was just really nice. And um, I mean, the the response has been um, so, so wonderful. And, and hearing from old friends and you know, like the 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 reporters I grew up with and the writers I respected who, who say how much they like the book and, and are texting me like different scenes in it. And it's just been really, really nice. So thanks. can you talk a little, a little bit about who you found to be the dominant figures in this White House uh, in the final year, uh, including with the campaign advisors, but, but who were the dominant voices around Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's always changing, right? I mean, I have one scene in the book here where, um, it's it's like in the middle of the summer, early in the summer, uh, Trump is sitting around with his campaign team. They're going over polling and uh, in the Oval Office, he opens the door for like the next meeting and in walks Scott Atlas, right? No one knows who Scott Atlas is mm -hmm. yet, uh, other than some people who'd seen him on Fox News. We didn't know he was advising behind. Oops. Scenes at all. And Trump tells him, Hey Scott, like tell these guys what you told me. Tell tell them what you told me. And he says, "Okay, uh, well, I told them that the pandemic will be over by September, right?" And like they can't My believe it that Trump's this is what indictment, it, it, these are the people that, that that Trump is bringing in and and just trying to have his own opinion sort of re reinforced here. Um, I, it, it just sort of changes, right? I mean, in um, I don't know. It's a really good question. I mean, if we're talking about like the, the I mean, Millie is a very strong voice with Trump. I mean, mm -hmm. even, and I think up until, um, you know, it, it starts to disintegrate in June, but even then when Trump wants to use the insurrection act and Millie's telling him no, Millie, I mean, Millie's basically telling him point blank, like this is, it's not what it's for. Right. I mean, the, we bring in the national guardsmen who are trained as quasi law enforcement to um, patrol protesters that's what they're for not the 82nd airborne who is trained to to kill and take land these are very different you know scenarios um even as he's telling them no i mean my reporting was that even then trump is telling people well get millie what does millie think what's millie say about this let me know what get millie on the phone right like he's still in that kind of mode of uh, uh my generals um, mm -hmm. you know type atmosphere um you know, and then, I mean, toward the end, I mean, I think this is one of the, it's kind of one of the sad parts of the end of the book. And what I, I think what helps kind of explain January 6th to a degree is like these people who were in a position, I, no one can ever tell Trump no, right? Like Trump's going to do what he's going to do, right? I have this scene with Melania where she's trying to keep the White House party, the election day party. Great, I don't know. great scene. That was a great scene. Where, you know, where Trump has to call her. She, she's in charge of the White House and, 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 um, uh, events, right? Yep. In the event space. Yeah, the and first lady is typically in charge of that aspect of the White House. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she keeps telling uh, Meadows no, that she doesn't want to 
have this party because of COVID, right? She's concerned about COVID. So it falls to Trump days, just a few days before the election to call his wife from Air Force One and say he wants to have the party. And she just throws up her hand and said, fine, do it. You're going to do it anyway, you know? And so I think that is sort of like a big takeaway on Trump is like, he's going to do it anyway. Just people who are, are kind of up in arms about why Millie hasn't, you know, uh, wasn't shooting up flares to the American public at the time or Pence or Ron. But again, like really Pence, Ron, these are people who told Trump no and to a degree survived, right? And could, maybe Pence, maybe not so much, but but Rana and I think and Millie are two, are two characters in the book that certainly uh, did. Uh, and um, uh, and Trump to a degree still kept them pretty close. Um, but after the election, um, they see that Trump is not, you know, foaming at the mouth. He's not screaming about ballots. He's not, you know, he's not losing his mind. So you, mean, you mean immediate, immediately after the election? Correct. Yes, yes, yes. Like in the days after the election, yep. days after like the first couple of weeks of November. Yep. So they kind of start looking at their own, making their own plans, right? I mean, Ron starts talking to him about running for a third term. Um, you know, uh, Jared is who, you know, for all of the criticism of Jared, like Jared is one of the people who had some success keeping Trump focused and keeping uh, some of the grifters, for lack of a better word, away from him. Not perfect, but I mean, he had some success. Jared sees what's, you know, Jared is off in the Middle East and I'm not going to argue with his father-in-law over this. But their takeaway is that he's going to find his way to concede. He's not, uh, he, again, he's not screaming. He's not foaming at the mouth. He'll be okay. He'll find his own way. But like giving him space only creates an opening, as we find out, for Rudy Giuliani's, Sidney Powell's, to come in and tell him exactly what he wants to hear. And suddenly we have, you know, two parallel legal teams descending on Georgia, um, one from the White House and the other saying they're from the White House, but both, um, you know, both, both blessed by Trump, you know? Um, I want to rewind a second back to, and you touched on this, but I just want to drill down a bit, the events of June 1st, which... Mm -hmm. Were, were clearly the beginning of the end, or I, I, I would have said the beginning, but it was it was the middle of the end or the end of the end between Trump and Millie, um, even if they continue dealing with each other. Um, talk a bit about why that moment was so jarring. I think not just for Millie, but for Mark Esper, um, mm -hmm. yeah. defense, for Bill Gore, yeah. the attorney general, um, you know, all of whom had tried to deter Trump from using the yeah. Insurrection Act. Yeah. Um, Talk a bit about that day and what that day felt like to all of those folks. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's a good question. I appreciate it. It's an important part of the book and, and the year. Um, and I'm glad you brought up Barr and Esper, too. Esper, particularly, um, he doesn't get enough credit, really, um, for um, for telling Trump no, for being one of those guardrails. Mm -hmm. The difference was, was that at this point, Trump had already kind of dismissed them. Right, mm -hmm. he was barely hanging on. Um, so, so Trump was more likely to lash out at Esper than he was mm -hmm. against Millie. Millie's work carry a little bit more weight. Same with Barr, really. I mean, Barr's um, relationship with 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 Trump takes a turn like in the second half of the year. It wasn't really at this point. You know, he was he uh, Barr was still really important person around Trump at this point, and. Um, one thing you know, I describe that's in the book is is these are all um, again a lot of people viewed themselves as truth tellers to Trump mm -hmm. um, incorrectly, right? 
a really important point. Yeah, I mean, people would sort of like hedge their bets with Trump or, or hedge their advice, uh, wrap it in all of these qualifications um, to the point where, right, like Trump has uh, a 10 different, you know, uh, things to grab onto except no, right? Um, Millie, Barr, and Esper are, are pretty straight with Trump, you know, um, as straight with Trump as, as you can be. Um, any president, really, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's not an easy thing to do to speak truth to power, mm -hmm. you know, and 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 put yourself at risk like that. Um, but one thing that struck me was was just how insistently you had to keep your guard up with Trump. June one, they they have these meetings in the Oval Office. Trump wants to use the insurrection. I like live music. Exclamation point. To, to, to put down protests. Active right? duty military. Yeah. Active duty military. That's exactly right. And. Uh, there's a there's a meltdown on a conference call that was reported in real time with governors, um, and then Millie and Barr, uh, you, you, you know, at, at this point Millie is Trump is telling everybody that Millie's in charge, mm -hmm. right? Millie is he's the top general in the U.S. military. He, he's not in charge of any. He's not a command in command of any troops. He's an advisor to the president and advisor to the other you know uh, uh, military branches, chiefs of staff of the military branches. Tells Trump this this repeatedly. They have a, mm -hmm. they have an explosion over this, right? That, that Trump used this as um, as disloyal. That Millie's being disloyal to him, and and how dare he tell Trump what his constitutional duties are um, as as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The three men go their separate ways uh, in the afternoon. Uh, Esper goes back to the Pentagon. Barr and Millie go to the FBI headquarters in, in, in D.C. That's basically kind of a command post mm -hmm. uh, to watch over protests. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lull in the action in the afternoon. Okay. Some of the communications goes down, uh, and they're all kind of looking around at each other. Uh, Millie's in his combat fatigues. He'd always planned to go out and visit with the guardsmen that night. Uh, Barr had known that they were going to push the perimeter out from the White House even further closer to St. John's. He had planned to go and, and, and inspect that at some point anyway. And Millie says something offhand, just, a, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, joking around. I was like, let's go, let's go see what Trump's up to. Let's go grab a bite. Let's go see what's up at the White House. Now, no one's going to, like, go grab a bite at the White House, right? Like, the, I don't even think the mess is open at this point. But, but Barr goes along with it, and they go to the White House. And, and again, they were going there anyway. The first thing they do is, in fact, go to um, uh, Lafayette Square, where there's some National Guardsmen stationed and uh, lined up, and Millie starts talking to them. There's testimony to this um, degree that he tells them um, that they're there to protect First yeah, Amendment rights. That's all they're there for that night. Uh, Barr's looking around. Um, uh, uh, I think it's in the book. Um, I, I was told by other point. people that, um, you know, there's that scene where Millie takes a phone call where it looks yep. like he's commanding troops. Yep. Um, it was his wife. He's like, you're on live TV. What the hell are you doing there, right? And this is what Millie tells other people this later on. Um, but the next thing they know, they go into the White House, and like unbeknownst to them, there's this whole plan to uh, march over to St. John's, and right, and like what had started as a lark, really, is like a is like a what the hell? Let's just go over to the White House moment. Uh, hours later, they're in the middle of one of the most controversial. Um, political moments when the most controversial photo ops, um, 
you know, and certainly in our time and, you know, one that they'll be talking about for, for years. It's funny. Um, in my reporting, and, and this matches your reporting in the book, but I'm just wondering if, if you agree with my characterization mm -hmm. of this. Um, the, the arrival of this group of people at the church was sort of a Geraldo safe moment where they all realized mm -hmm. there was no plan. There was, so the plan was literally to walk. And yeah. that was it. There was yeah. no plan to inspect the damage. There was no plan for Trump to give remarks. There was, um, there was, there was yeah. really nothing developed. Um, how much well, of that is, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I just, yes, that is, um, that, that Mark, that, that matches with my reporting too. And I should just stop here to say that almost all of this is a result of your report. I mean, this is a big jump off. I mean, whatever. I mean, there's many moments in this book that, that I jump off of your reporting. Um, we all jump off each other's reporting, but, but thank you. Um, yeah, but, but particularly now, I mean, he is so upset about your report about him in the bunker. The right. Of nights before. Yeah, we should we should fill in the, the folks who are watching who don't either don't remember or weren't paying attention in in that level of detail at the time. Yeah. Uh, the Friday night before Trump walked to Lafayette Square, um, the, the Friday night before the Sunday night when there was the the burning of the basement of St. John's Church, which was going to cross Lafayette Park, has passed a, a Trump was budget taken for the federal the government for uh, next year below the White House, which is extremely rarely used and it was done Kennedy after a barricade of the treasury department which is right next door to the white house uh was pierced um and trump was uh my colleague peter baker and i reported on it trump was um not happy uh, um downplaying it you have a you have a very vivid scene about his unhappiness yeah i mean those this, this i mean talk about shocking moments in reporting this book when i was asking people about oh, what, I, what I, their I, memories were at this time I was shocked. I was shocked that that the first answer from so many people the, uh, was how wound up Trump was for days about who leaked that detail to the New York Times about how much time he spent on it, how much time he required Mark Meadows to spend on it, and then how it filtered down and 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 it, it affected all of these other decisions. And it just you know it, it was it was it was stunning to me, and and I mean just a crucial piece of reporting. Um, um, thank you. Um, uh, it was a team effort. Um, he, um, uh, but that that whole weekend, uh, at least in my experience, and certainly as you presented in the book, was the fulcrum shift uh, in 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 for, for in certain ways for the rest of the year. Certainly in terms of Trump on race and in terms of Trump on on uh, violence and unrest in cities throughout the rest of the summer. Um, one person sure we have not talked about yet is Jared Kushner. And he is a very dominant player throughout the book. Um, you uh, describe in, in detail how he got Trump to hire Brad Parscale. Mm -hmm. You describe in detail the um, uh, rather um, smaller than expected Tulsa rally um, mm -hmm. uh, in June. Um, and uh, you uh, described how Brad was replaced. Um, Talk about the role that Kushner played in it, not just the final year, but throughout the entire presidency yeah. for Trump. And then talk about your understanding of where that relationship is now. Yeah, um, thanks. I, I haven't really talked anywhere about Jared, and you're right. I mean, he's, he's a central figure here. Here's the place. Sure. Yeah, 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 thanks. <laughs> um, Unburden yourself. <laughs> um, I mean, he is, right? He's the, um, he's the, he's, he's the, he's the chief of staff. He's the campaign manager, right? He's the senior advisor. He's all, he's he's there all the time, in every 
in every decision. And, um, you know, it starts, I, and, and, I, and I try to explain his role. Um, I have an early scene with him. He, he gets involved kind of late in 2016, um, once, uh, once he sees that, you know, kind of Trump's uh, resonance and uh, what someone else had sort of described to me as kind of a Schitt's Creek moment in Iowa, where him and he and, uh, Texas and Ivanka are at the former chairman of the Rules Committee and you know, Pete Sessions. Gentleman from really Texas is recognized for two minutes. World, like nothing is. Mr. Speaker, thank you very much. I appreciate the gentleman from Pennsylvania. There's all of these other candidates with, um, you know, paraphernalia, no, stickers, and brochures. They have nothing yes, and, all, and, and, right, and a bunch of people. I mean, there's a lot of interest in Trump. They want to know at a caucus. So Jared has to pull out his phone and, and Google, how do you caucus, right? And Ivanka's horrified and calls her dad, like, you know, and this is where, you know, in some of my reporting where, 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 where Jared starts to turn on Corey Lewandowski, who the campaign yes. leader at the time, and, and an ubiquitous presence around Trump from, from, from Madam President. Uh, but also interesting is, is where, um, as this in legislative where, session, um, hey, how you know? Jared starts looking for replacements, you look good where you and want the name he gets back is Bill Stepien. Mm-hmm. Which he doesn't work at the time, but obviously Bill comes back, right um, and is campaign manager in the final months of the of the campaign. Unanimous consent that the Senate proceed to the Jared, immediate consideration. Right? I mean, it's it's uh, he had what I mean he right wing nuts Brad like you thought, should go crawl back under your rock. My reporting was that is that Brad had often described himself as a member of the family because mm-hmm. of his relationship with Jared. I mean, he viewed himself as another son-in-law, as another one of uh, Trump's boys. So he's. He's, um, well, what? you know, he's crushed when Jerry comes into the office. I want to be sure I understand. The handout that I just saw. Axism, right? He's not fired, he's demoted, but it's effectively uh, well, an axism. And, um, and We're going to make the world's who, largest. Um, who's like the, is like the flip side. Yeah, one of the things I try to do in the book here is like, you know, the, the, you have Jared and Brad are kind 2, of the two kids of Trump. The sort of like uh, author, author, author Today, America, uh, American rescue you know, plan Jared, and getting vaccines and arms, money and culture marketing showmanship of Brad. Um, and those two things never really resolved themselves. Um, and and with Trump and certainly with Jared, right? I mean, Jared brings in Brad uh, to build a campaign, which is a two billion dollar operation effectively. Um, and Brad does what he knows how to do is he builds. A PR machine. He builds an advertising agency. That's what Brad does. He then, you know, and does pretty well. Um, but then in the final days, Jared brings in Stepien, who's more like an accountant, right, to, to run this pop culture marketing uh, operation. And, you know, and it doesn't really work. Bill tries to do his own thing, um, tries to build his own shop. Um, and then suddenly, right, we have like these scenes in the book where, where Jared is trying to like, you know, then he's kind of distancing himself from Bill, um, trying to, you know, uh, play peacemaker. I mean, him of all people trying to, you know, bring in, um, make sure they're coordinating with Ron McDaniel over the Republican Party um, and, until the end where, uh, you know, Jared kind of washes his hands of it all, right? I mean, he... Mm-hmm. He's you mean right? At, you mean right after the election when he just started? Right. I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm talking November third, yeah. not November seventh, yeah. right? You see the writing on the wall. He starts looking at places and and, yeah. and talking to Ivanka about moving down to Florida for the election's call, right? I mean, he sees what directions it's going, um, and right, and that's the direction it is now. I mean, my reporting is that uh, uh, you know that 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 Don Jr. has kind of taken over the role as the as the family advisor instead of Jared. Uh, I think that's maybe 
a little bit willing, you know, you know, both Trump and Jared are probably, uh, you know, willing to, you know, let that play out for now. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, Jared's just a few miles down the, down the coast in Florida. So uh, not too far away. Um, if Trump were to run again, who do you see as the, doing this with him if he were to do it again? Is there anybody who you think from last time would be there again? Oh gosh, I mean, the answer is yes, right? I mean, there's no. Oh, it's yes. It's always yeah, there are no people, new people yeah. in Trump world. That, you know, it's um, but it's it, but who? I mean, it's a really good question. I mean, uh, you know, I have some, you know, Susie Wiles is the person right now down in Florida. She not only won. I mean, she won Florida twice. I mean, people don't know Susie Wiles, but I can make a straight face argument here that she's the most important Republican in Florida, the biggest battleground since Jeb Bush. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she was with Scott, she was with my friend DeSantis. She did both Trump campaigns in Florida. Not only won Florida, but she was the only one, only state Trump won twice and increased his margin in. Yep. You know, uh, people have told me, openly wondered with me whether or not they would have won in 2020 had Susie been in charge from the start. Like, you know, it, it, it's wild speculation in 2020. Uh, and it's a long way to go till 2024. Uh, Let me ask you a question, though, just while you said that, and I should just point out to the audience that you're a former Florida-based reporter, so you know of what you speak about the state. Um, do you think that the campaign apparatus is ultimately why Trump lost, or is Trump ultimately why Trump lost? Yeah. I mean, it, it's on Trump. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, 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 um, it's all on Trump. I mean, I, I did have people tell me, a lot of people want to blame COVID mm -hmm. for what we lost, and that's certainly, you know, a valid argument. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the moment where uh, he lost this race was in Cleveland at the debate. Mm -hmm. and, that first uh, debate. Correct. And yep. just did a performance that was uh, devoid of anything, um, reminded people of all the reasons they didn't like him and none of the reasons that they did like him. And you and, go into that in depth in the book. Yeah, and in in a in a in a, in a way in a, in a in a critical time in our country's history, right? And and an emergency on so many different levels um, in the moment for the nation. Um, uh, but that's on Trump, right? I mean, that's not because of like uh, you know this one or that one running the campaign, right? And I say that as someone who wrote an entire chapter on Bill Stepien. So um, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, someone had, so, someone inside the, the it, the Trump world, a very senior person had said that if it wasn't COVID, it would have been something else, right? Like if it, you know, if it wasn't, right, if it wasn't, the, he would now, Trump was not well served by the constant infighting underneath them. There's no question about that. Um, but again, even that at the end of the day, that's, that's, that's Trump's responsibility. Right? He, he tends, it's weird how that follows him wherever he goes. Um, in, my, in my history of covering with him, there's, there's always that infighting. Um, it's, it's almost as if it's a feature. Um, and not a bug. Um, I want to uh, turn to audience questions um, uh, in the in the remaining roughly 15 minutes that we have left. The first one is, uh, were there moments covering Trump and the White House that you felt exhausted or wanted to give up? Mm -hmm. and, and, and was there more than one moment? <laughs> Can you enumerate them all? Oh my god, I mean, yes. I mean, uh, it's hard to kind of pinpoint one specific one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I will say, like, I was able to last longer than a lot of people, and I'm not like holding myself up. I don't, you know, I think um, 
I, I think that probably speaks less of me than, than other people. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I covered Trump in 2016 with a team at the Wall Street Journal. Yep. Uh, I think there's five of us. And I was the only one that went into the White House. All four of my teammates were like, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Right. Like it's the, and it was the, it, the problem was the unpredictability mm-hmm. that you were constantly covering, Trump, you're, you're, particularly in a presidential candidate. And my God, in the White House, when the fate of the, you know, the, the most powerful country is, is, is in his, you know, on a Twitter button on his phone, term limits. just at his beck and call around the clock. Right. I mean, and a guy who wants to make news make demands, it's exclamation point, call it, for term it, limits, everyone has a different exclamation point, half women um, in the Congress. I, I mean, I, I will say, like, Lower mine was the getting voting the age end to of, of, 16, end of, the, end of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a lot. I mean, I, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on too. Like, I knew this book was coming up. I was, uh, you know, we were all, we were all we're already working. This is what I tell my bosses is like covering Trump is like three news cycles in one day, right? It's like three days in one, except they only paid me for one of them um, <laughs> and expected me to work all three. And and then on top of it, like I had the book coming up. I was, I, I mean, I, that, I was really feeling, it wasn't so much about Trump, I think, and, and, and a particular moment. I know that was the question, but, but that was for me, um, like putting the pressure on myself. Um, and, and I was, um, I mean, I knew that if he won, it would, it would actually make the book. The I thought the book was going to make the book a lot democracy. more interesting, right? Like, how the hell did he do this again, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what was going on? We and we did barely. The campaign had barely, really office. barely been covered all year because of everything else going on. Um, and um, and Arizona. you know, how do you walk away from that story if he wins, right? Like, I knew um, I was going to have. I was going to keep covering him in the and White engage House. Engage uh, and, and I was really struggling with what, young what I was going to do if he won. Um, and you know where I was going to get a break and what you know how that was going to um, play out. So it's a long answer, and without a very specific, you know, um, point, pin, you know, pinpoint. Like there, there, you know, there was no single thing. It was more of like just the, you know, five years of it um, kept starting to catch up to me. The fatigue, which happens in any in any White House, but this one was um, an accelerant turn all over. Because um, I'm a liberal Democrat. This next question is, what was covering the COVID outbreak after the Amy Coney Barrett nomination like? Mm-hmm. And then was it the scariest moment of 2023? Both, meaning us both, just for audience members who don't know the chronology, the Amy Coney Barrett nomination uh, was celebrated in a Rose Garden yes. ceremony uh, on September 26th, which was three days before the first debate. Um, it was believed to have been a super spreader event. Um, people were not wearing masks. Lots of people got sick afterwards with COVID. Um, and and uh, among them later that week who got sick were Poe Picks, the president's uh, top advisor, and then the the president and yes. first lady uh, as well. So, uh, what was covering that that outbreak like? Um, it was. I mean, it was bonkers, right? I mean, my I I had so many like near close calls with this with with with, with Trump world here. Yeah, I, I was Trump in Ron McDaniel's office. Uh, remember the first scare she had, like mm-hmm. right at the beginning of the mm-hmm. of the pandemic, where um, she thought she had COVID. This was a weekend in March, just for those who, who don't yeah. remember. There were there were several events going on at Mar-a-Lago at the same time, one of which was an RNC fundraising event. One was Kim Guilfoyle's birthday event. I think President Bolsonaro was there uh, the same weekend. Uh, and that was, I think, the weekend you're talking about. When yeah, exactly. Um, so I thought maybe I, you know, there was a chance I'd caught it then. And there was, like, no tests or anything back then. Um, 
and that was where I really got a taste of what things might look like. He has actually been very you know, shut down everything, right? There was no um, no help for the family. I couldn't bring in people. So I had to like quarantine, you know, all the quarantine stuff. Uh, and then on the the rose garden ceremony, I was supposed to have covered that live, but um, Why didn't the news, well, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. One of my colleagues had pre-written the story, and then I think again, it was you and Mama, Peter who wrote that it was going to be Amy Coney Barrett. Um, so like, yeah, the news, yeah, like, he, he'd done actually a pretty good job of keeping the first two nominees under wraps, but this one broke jail. a day early, That's so we knew it was um, Amy Coney Barrett, and we had the story already out, so like... Um, there was no point in going. There's no point in going. The journal doesn't have a paper on Sunday. I could do it from home. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a pandemic. Um, and like, yeah. And then um, <laughs> and then I was actually in the debate hall for that Cleveland debate. Again, before we knew um, that that the Rose Garden event a couple of days earlier had been a super spreader. I was one, like, there was no one in the debate hall, right? Like usually these things are, these presidential debates thousands of people are in a, an arena at a college or something like that. Uh, I mean, this one was a, maybe a couple yes. hundred. I mean, there were a handful of reporters there. And the only reason I was there was because um, C-SPAN, uh, Steve Scully had asked me to come and help him do a pre, pre, you know, pre-game show. Governor, and, um, President, you know, Justice And then we find out later that, right, that, that Trump and like a lot Right. So that's good enough for, for now for that. 